We are going to be reading from Matthew 16, 24 through 17, 13. My name is Vicki Bobbitt, and it's so nice to be with you this morning, and it's my honor to read to you from God's Word. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, and listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Gonna turn it on. There we go. I was gonna turn it on during the greeting time and I forgot. I'll let Cho adjust me a little bit down so I don't blast everybody out. All right. All right, my name is AJ, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, Mike asked if I would uh, preach this week as the elders were out. Um, preparing and uh, for the next next year and praying for you guys and so it's my privilege to um to come and to bring the word as we are jumping back into our kingdom series 
Um, for those of you who might be new over the last two months, uh, normally what we do about 75% of the years, we're in a book of the Bible. But we took a little hiatus from that in order to do our Advent series and to uh, kind of Mike did a series prepping us for the vision that he has for this year. And now we're going to be jumping back to our kingdom series, a study in the book of Matthew. And this week we're going to be looking at a good place for the soul. And we're going to be looking at a portion of the, what Vicki had read for us, uh, Matthew 16, 28, 17 to 8. I wonder if you ever had an experience where when you got to the end of it, you're like, man, that was so wonderful. Like, deep down in your soul, good and wonderful. And at the end, you're just like, I don't want this to be over. And each summer, I would go to Camp Good News, as a CEF camp, and, and from second to uh, sixth grade, I'd go every summer, and it was fun, and relationships were built, and I would learn about Jesus, and I'd get to the end of the week, and it was like the week that you never wanted to end, and I'd go back summer after summer, and then when I got to be in seventh grade, there was the opportunity to come back and serve on staff, since uh, they only offered a camp from second to sixth grade, so from seventh grade to when I was a senior in high school, I got the opportunity to go back and uh, to be on staff, whether it was helping uh, with the, um, the kitchen or maintenance or all these different fun things. And there was a group of us that went, and they're in this picture here, and, uh, and there was a group of us that, were, um, that would come year after year, and we'd grow in relationships with each other, and we would grow and be able to... Um, and waiting for the picture to come up us. We're struggling. That's okay. The technology didn't work last time I preached either, so we're just going to keep going. All right, uh, so um, and so there we were together, and, uh, and each summer we'd get to the end of the summer, and it would be just like, we just never wanted the summer to end. Hey, there it is. And so perhaps you have had that similar experience. Perhaps that experience was maybe with friends out doing adventures, whether backpacking or mountain climbing. Or maybe it was with your friends and her family and an extended beach getaway. Or maybe it was that missions trip to a foreign country that you never wanted to come back from. Or maybe it was that sports team that you were with that you didn't want the season to ever end. Or maybe it's that hunting trip that you look forward to year after year. Or maybe, just maybe, it was the first time you were riding the teacups at Disneyland. (laughs) I want you to sink into that moment and how good your soul felt and how much you never wanted that experience to end. Everybody there? Everybody got it? All right. Hold on to that feeling. We're going to come back to that. So, so we're jumping back in. Just kind of a quick review out of Matthew chapter 16. In the beginning of Matthew 16, we think, see things that are beginning to escalate. We see that Jesus' disdain for the religious leaders and their hypocrisy was only continuing to grow. And we saw how Peter's confession... When he was asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus very quickly affirms, that's right, Peter. 
And then Jesus introduces this idea of the church. This thing that he's going to build that was very foreign to his followers at that time. And then Jesus goes and predicts his death in probably the most clear way that we've seen so far. And then Peter and the disciples immediately come back and begin arguing with him. And then we jump into the passage that Vicky read for us. And that was the last passage that, that Mike preached at the end of November about how we need to take up our cross and follow him. And then we can choose to live the way of the world and put our soul at risk. Or we can take up our cross and follow him. And the only thing we may gain from that is our soul. And that leaves us to, to Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. It's the one verse that Mike left off from Matthew chapter 16. And so if you're following along in one of the pew Bibles, and the smaller ones, it's uh, page 822, or for the big ones, it's 1045, or you can follow along on the screen here. Matthew 16, 28, it says this, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And on one hand, this, this verse is very simple. That there are some who are there who Jesus is talking to who would not taste death. They would not die before Jesus, the Son of Man, comes in his kingdom. But on the other hand, there's been a lot of pens spilt about when is the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now we see there's a very defined timeline here. Because in order for the, this event has to happen before everybody there dies. So we have a very short time frame in which this event needs to happen. In this verse and the following uh, passage, the uh, transfiguration is often called, are found in all three of the synoptic gospels. And the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we're going to quick look at these three verses here. And we can see some mostly similarities and a few uh, other additional details that might help us try to put some of the pieces together. So in Matthew, we see the Son of Man is coming in this kingdom. And we talked a lot about the Son of Man that comes from the book of Daniel and how it's this picture of this coming king. But also the Son of Man is given characteristics by Daniel that all the other writers only reserve for God. And so we see that the Son of Man, who Jesus over and over claimed to be, was this very special person, and he's coming in his kingdom. And in Mark 9, it's almost the same. It says, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come. But Mark says, with power. So we're going to talk about power here in a minute. And then Luke is probably the least detailed. It just says, until they see the kingdom of God. So they're all very similar. And there's kind of three historic views about what this passage means and when it's going to happen. And the first would say that the transfiguration is when they see the Son of Man coming. And it ties from Matthew 16, verse 27, where it says the glory of the Father, right, is seen, and, and then it ties the seeing the Son of Man. For in this view, it's the most clearly where we actually physically see Jesus. And while this view is held by many, um, more people have probably rejected this view. And one of the things that they'll point to is that Jesus makes a pretty big deal about the disciples not tasting death until they see this happen. 
And why would Jesus make a big deal about all the disciples, not, most of them not tasting death, and it's going to happen because the transfiguration only happens just a few days later. And it just doesn't seem to make sense to most people. The other thing is that they think there are maybe some better and more clear displays of the kingdom. And so moving chronologically, the next place people would say that this is fulfilled is in the day of Pentecost, where the, king, the power of the kingdom was displayed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes the verse, Matthew 10.23, which you want to go back, Mike preached on this in August of 2022, which some of you weren't even going here. Um, Liz and I were still living out of state at that point. Um, but Mike talked about this verse. This is when they were persecuted. You in one town flee to the next. For truly, I will say to you, you have not gone through all the towns of Jerusalem before the Son of Man comes. And he talked about how he would place this verse in connection with the ascension of Jesus. And when Jesus ascends and he takes a seat on the throne... And very closely tied to Jesus coming and taking his sending and taking his seat on the throne is this idea of the day of the Pentecost. When, when he said, when I ascend and when I'm seated on my throne, I will send the Spirit and he will come in power. And so therefore the Spirit coming in power was a sign that Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. That he really was sitting on the throne and therefore, they appointed, many appointed this as the fulfillment of the passage. But still others say that the day of Pentecost only happens less than two years after Jesus makes this statement. And it seems kind of odd that Jesus would talk about people not dying for something that would only happen less than two years later. And they believe that maybe there's a better fulfillment of the kingdom and power. And they would point to what happened in AD 70. And we know that historically that, that maybe not all the disciples made it to AD 70. And perhaps many of the people there were, were, had died or some of them were even martyred before then. And they would argue that the power in the kingdom is seen displayed in the destruction of Jerusalem. Because as we talked about over and over again in, in Matthew, that they kept wanting Jesus to come and set up a physical kingdom. And when the Jerusalem was actually destroyed... It really destroyed all hope that what Jesus was talking about was that he was going to come back in this physical kingdom and that the kingdom he was trying to set up right now is all about a physical kingdom. But perhaps the power in the kingdom that he is trying to set up right here, right now is maybe something different. And the first view is probably the least likely, but if we take the last two views, there's lots of information, lots of good arguments can be had about them, but they both have two things in common. And these are things that we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, that one, the kingdom is probably not what we're expecting it to be. It was definitely not what the disciples were expecting it to be. And the power that it is going to bring and the things that it is going to accomplish are counterintuitive to the kingdom of this world. Now we jump into the transfiguration. And in Matthew 17, it says this, After six days, Jesus took with Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain. So just a few days later, he takes just the three, um, often called the inner circle, Peter, James, and James' brother, John. He leads them up to a high mountain. There's some debate over which mountain it was. You can check that out if you want. Really, the Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us a high mountain. 
And there on this mountain, it says he was transfigured before them. His face shone like a sun, and his clothes became white as light. This word transfigured, the Greek word metamorpho, has the idea of meta, change, and morpho, which is this idea of changing. This is the key of keeping with the inner reality. This is where we get our word metamorphosis or metamorphosis. I'm going to try to say it once more because it's not going to come out right anyways. But if you remember like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that, Mike talked about Philippians chapter 2 and this passage about Jesus being in the form of God. And the word form in the Greek there is the root word where we get metamorpho, the same word here. And it has this idea of this outward form, but that outward form is consistent with the inner form. And the inner form in the Greek is given the more importance, the essence. And so Jesus, being in the form of God, was in the form of God, not because it was something bestowed on him or something he had earned, but that because deep down at the very core, Jesus was God. And therefore, it was right and good that he would appear in the form of God. But Jesus didn't hold on to that right, but rather he chose to empty himself, to hide that form, to take on another form, a form that was foreign to him. And so he took on the form of a servant and became in the likeness of man. And so here we see Jesus in this moment of time and parter and whole. He now unleashes his true self. That somehow, in some way, that we, we probably won't understand this side of heaven, he, that his deity begins to show forth. And he doesn't become a different body, but somehow in his human body, it shows forth that, and it was revealed that his face shone like the sun. And his clothes were white as light. What a picture it would be to see God beginning to unleash his true self before the disciples. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now Moses and Elijah are kind of two key figures. They both have some really unique things about them. One is that they both met God while here on earth. Moses met God on Mount Sinai. Elijah on Mount and on Mount Hebron, most historic people believe that the, these were the same mountain. They were just called two different things at two different points in time. And Moses, we know that, that from the, the passage that uh, uh, Melissa read earlier, that he saw later, that he saw the back of God. And Elijah, if you go back to the story out of 1 Kings 19, that he saw God in a whisper. But these two people became very important people in Israel's history. As Moses was always synonymous with the law, the word of God. And Elijah was often synonymous with the collective prophets. And the job of the prophets was that when Israel would stop following the law, and they would kind of go wayward, God would send a prophet. And the prophet's job was to turn them back to following God. And perhaps... Maybe even Elijah and Moses are there, as we see Jesus would say that he had come 
to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And maybe there's an allusion to that. We don't know. But what we do know is that the disciples are getting the experience, and we're about ready to see their reaction. But there's two details that Matthew doesn't cover that Luke does. One, he talks about how Jesus was praying that he was talking to the Father during this time. And it made me wonder that as Jesus would often go up to the mountains, I wonder that when he was alone with God, that he would allow his deity to show forth, that he would transfigure often before God, back to his natural state where he was more comfortable communicating with God. We don't know. But what we do know is the disciples, according to Luke, are sleeping during this time. And so all of a sudden, Peter and the other disciples, they wake up. And for a time, which seems to be a very short amount of time, according to Matthew and Luke, they are experiencing the presence of God. As as Jesus' deity, as his fullness is shining forth, And then Peter says this, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Peter, in a very short amount of time, is overwhelmed with being in the presence of Jesus in this state. And he doesn't offer to take them all back to his house, but he is so overwhelmed, he's so excited about what's going on that he offers to take and build tents because it was so good and so wonderful. He goes, I don't want to leave. Whatever's going on here, I want to stay and I want to be a part of this. And so he offers to build tents so that whatever was going on here would never end. And as we go back and we think about the story that we talked about, and you think about that memory of what it was like to experience something that was so deep down in your soul, that was so good and so right, that you never wanted it to end. And I imagine Peter, in this moment, that that is what he's feeling. That deep down in his soul, that as he's there with Jesus, he's going, this is how things are supposed to be. There's something so good and so right about being in the presence of Jesus as he's putting on display in some form or fashion that his deity is beginning to shine forth. And he goes, this is good and right. And he doesn't want it to end. And often maybe you've been asked the question or thought about the question, what is it going to be like to be in heaven? What is it going to be like to be with Jesus? And I think here we get a picture of what it's going to be like to be with Jesus. That just to be in the presence of Jesus is going to be so overwhelming, so good for our souls that we will never want to leave. And unlike the story that you have and I have of where that good thing that felt so good and it comes to an end, And we're about ready to see that Peter, what he's experiencing is about to come in. That there will be a time and place for those who put their faith in Jesus. That when we go to be with him forever, that there will be a time where that feeling will never come to an end. That we will be overwhelmed by his presence forever. And we will never have to wonder 
when this good thing will come to an end. But it's about ready to come abruptly to an end for Peter. In verse chapter 5 it says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud and overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And perhaps this sounds very familiar. Back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, right after Jesus was baptized, a very similar thing happened. But if you remember, right, that Jesus hadn't called his disciples yet, so this is most likely something that neither Peter, James, or John experienced. This is something new for them. As the cloud shows forth, and, and, and the Father comes and says almost the same thing. This is my beloved Son. Who am I well pleased? And he says this, listen to him. So why would he say listen to him? I think one is the obvious answer, right? That he is the Son of God. He is Jesus. Therefore, you should listen to him. But I think if we look at the time and the place to where we are in the book of Matthew, as we see that things are beginning to escalate, and if we actually take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that after this verse, a disproportional amount of the book is given to Jesus' final year of ministry versus his whole other life. And I wonder if here God is preparing the disciples for what is about to happen. That Jesus is about ready to download a whole bunch of information really quickly about who he is, about who the kingdom is, about what he's trying to do. And God is coming in and trying to get them to pay attention because they're going to need this information because Jesus is about ready to go a lot sooner than they think. And perhaps even for us here today, it's a call to us as we finish the book of Matthew to pay attention that the things that Jesus is going to cover about who he is and what his kingdom are perhaps still important for us today. What did the disciples think about this? Well, we see in verse 6, this is when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Well, what is Jesus' reaction? Well, he doesn't look at them and go, hey, you know what? That's right. That's God talking. You should be scared. Stay down there. Boo. Right? What does he say? But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but only Jesus. Why would he tell them to have no fear? Why were they afraid? And if we look in John uh, chapter 3, picking up in verse 17, probably these familiar verses, I think we may be getting a picture into the fear of God. John 17 says this, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so we get this picture that Jesus is not coming into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And that's going to be really important as we kind of finish out the sermon. And it says this, For whoever believes in him is not condemned, is not judged. And I think here what we see is that in their fear and their terror, that Jesus comes to them and he realizes that the disciples have shown where their faith and belief is. That over and over again, while it's been up and down, that overall they keep coming back to Jesus. 
They keep following him. They keep showing their belief and their faith in Jesus. And because of that, the Bible says that they are not condemned. And therefore, they have no reason to fear God. And so therefore, Jesus comes in, as Romans 8 says, For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I believe Jesus is coming in and comforting them and going, no, you don't need to fear God because I am here and I will make you right before God. But unfortunately, Jesus doesn't stop there. And this is what he says next. But whoever does not believe is condemned or is judged already because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And there is a good and right fear of God. And if you are here today and you are living in opposition to God, if you have no concern about believing or trusting in Him, the Bible says that the judgment of God rests upon you. But the good news is, is that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save you. And so if you were here and you were living that spot, you are not without hope. You don't have to live in fear or in opposition to God. But rather, Jesus come and he saved the way. And each week, we come to the table to remind ourselves of how Jesus saves us. And if we look in, in, in Matthew six twenty six to 29 it says this, Now when they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus here is forecasting what is about ready to happen, that he's going to come, and he's going to go to the cross, and his body's going to be broken, and his blood's going to be spilt, for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you are here today and you are living life in opposition to God, you're still choosing to live life as you want to live it. It's not too late. But Jesus came to save those who are living in opposition to him. Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies with God, He came to save us. And so today you can turn from the life that you are living and you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins. And like Peter, you can come and you can experience that which is good and right, what God intended you to experience in a right relationship with Him. Something that's so good for your soul that you'll never want it to end. And so as you come to the table this week, for those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus, it is good and right that we remember the great thing that he had done for us. But he doesn't stop there. In Matthew 29, he says this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so the other part of coming to the table that we may not often focus on or think about is that Jesus told them that this isn't going to be the last time that we do this. 
And oftentimes the future is painted as a big feast. Where we'll be gathered together and we'll be sitting, we'll be eating and drinking with Jesus. And we'll be eating and drinking with Him. And there will be no more pain. There will only be joy and peace and love. There will be no sickness, no sadness, no pain, no suffering, no guilt, no shame, anxiety. All those things will be put away. And in there, we will be in his presence and we'll be overwhelmed by the glory of God. We'll be overwhelmed by how good he has been to us. And the best part about it be is that we'll never, ever come to an end. That we will eternally live in a place that's so good and wonderful for our soul because he has created it for us. What a glorious day that will be. So I'm going to pray, and then you will, um, Melissa and Hallie uh, are going to play some music, and if you will just come by yourselves or with someone around you, come, and you can just take um, the bread and the cup back to um, your place and take that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came to earth that you set aside everything that you had a right to hold on to. But you set that aside for a time to come to love us in a real and tangible way. And you are faithful to do so all the way to the cross. And God, we are a thankful people today, reminded of the great things you have done for us. But God, you are not done. That one day, we will stand in your presence. That one day, we will be with you. And down to our very soul and our core, God, we will be overwhelmed with how great you are. You didn't even need to say anything or do anything, but Peter just saw you, and he was overwhelmed. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a taste of that today. That we would be overwhelmed with how great you are. That you would make us a thankful people, God. That we would desire to be with you, to be close to you, to know you, to love you. To be overwhelmed by you on a regular basis. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.